0: Good to see each of you here this morning. We appreciate your presence, and especially if you're visiting, we're delighted you're here. We are honored by your presence, and we invite you to be back at every opportunity that you may have. And let me say I appreciated the phone call on Thursday and and the invitation to be with you, and certainly we'll keep Brother Lonnie Jones in our prayers and hope for a speedy recovery for sure. Good to see you this morning. Isaiah wrote, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised. Rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with griefs, yet we hid his of our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not, surely. He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every man hath turned his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53. One through six. Peter said who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. First Peter 2 verse 24. There was one Lord. There were two thieves. There were three crosses. There were four garments. There were five wounds. There were six hours, and there were seven sayings uttered by Jesus as he hung suspended upon that cross outside those walls of Jerusalem to redeem my soul. One Lord. Peter, in the presentation of the good news of redemption for the first time in the history of the world, said in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, let Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. You know, that's an unusual course to pursue, to become Lord of heaven and earth. You see, crucifixion was a means of executing the scum of the earth. I mean, the lowest form of humanity. It wasn't just about killing someone. It was about killing someone in a very horrible way with a purpose to bring about the maximum amount of pain. One of the reasons it took place outside the walls of the city is because it was too horrible for most people to experience. You know, by comparison, it would have been someone honorable to be decapitated by the Roman executioner. Oh, but they reserved this kind of death, this crucifixion for the lowest form of of humanity. Would you say, Peter, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made him Lord in Christ, this Jesus whom ye hath crucified? You remember Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 beginning There's one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, notice there in verse 5. Would you say, Paul? One Lord. One Lord. And we visualize him with those spikes driven through his hands and feet, his body bruised and bleeding, his back lacerated from the horrible scourging that had taken place just beforehand, and it'd be put upon that cross. Paul said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, in Philippians 2. Five through eight, he said, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being in found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What are you saying, Paul? Friends, the way up is down. You see, the way to greatness is Service. It's humility that elevates one in the eyes of God. Not prominence or greatness in the eyes of the world. No, it's humility that sacrifices to serve. He died on that cross, bearing your sins and mine. That's why he hung there. Nails? Why? They couldn't hold the one who calmed the raging sea with the words, Peace be still, and instantly there was great calm? Well, the very idea. It wasn't nails that held my Lord to the cross. What was it then? It was his love for you and me. One Lord. There were two thieves. Two thieves. One on either side of the Lord representing all of fallen humanity. And Now sure we've all sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 There's not a righteous man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 For through one man sinned into the world and death through sin. For death hath passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Romans 5 verse 12 Sure, we've all sinned. We understand that. We're aware of the fallen estate of mankind. All are sinners, but there are two kinds. Both represented right here. One on either side of the Lord. One a penitent sinner... Oh sure they both railed on him you remember Matthew explains that of course in Matthew chapter 27 verse 44 both of them cast the same reproach that they were hearing from the mob that was below and before him but Luke tells us that one of them repented You see Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost Luke 19:10 He died in my stead hoping that somehow this great love is exhibited in his life, and his death will touch my heart and turn my life around. It did for one of those thieves, a penitent sinner, but the other one, impenitent. This represents every class of humanity, friends, all sinners. Oh, but some, that being few as opposed to the many, Matthew seven thirteen and 14, will turn from the practice of sin, servitude to Satan, turn their footsteps toward the testimony of the Lord, and others, most, never will. Two thieves. There were three crosses. The cross of redemption. You remember in Ephesians chapter 2, Apostle Paul wrote, But now in Christ Jesus you are sometimes who are afar off made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make of himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile, listen to it, both unto God and one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. The cross of redemption. That's the one in the center. But there's also the cross of salvation. Paul tells that in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, oh, it's the power of God. Even though this thief was receiving the just reward of his deeds, even though he deserved to die, for his conduct, he recognized something in Jesus Christ who himself was dying in the same manner, hanging on the cross. But you know, the marvelous thing to me is that despite the agony, despite the horrible suffering, despite the shame, despite the terrible pain, Jesus never once forgot his mission. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Marvelous thing. You see, friends, the Lord always has the kindest regards, the highest Good, And the greatest blessings, if you will, to to bestow upon others, no matter the immediate circumstances, how horrible, how terrible, how negative, how painful they may be, unlimited blessings bestowed upon those with a penitent heart who turn to him. Marvelous indeed. The cross of redemption, the cross of salvation, and the cross of condemnation all three on that darkened hill just outside those walls of Jerusalem. You know, the impenitent thief never really apparently gave consideration to the nearness of eternal life. He apparently never considered it. I remember that Jesus said when the multitudes were following him, you remember in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This impenitent thief apparently was bemoaning his uh, lot in life, apparently. I mean, this man was possibly thinking, how terrible it was that these people would do this to me, even though he was receiving the just reward of his deeds. There was a degree of self-pity, obviously. His view was inward. He was probably only concerned with the negative situation. No doubt if he had gotten loose, he maybe would have thought in terms of vengeance. I mean, I just hate these people for this, Friend, that won't work. That won't win. He never turned loose. He never gave himself up. He never realized the principle taught by the Lord in the previous verse in Luke chapter 14, 26. Yea, in his own life also. Lord, I'm hanging helpless here on a cross. I'm going to die soon. Save me. Apparently never crossed his mind. You know, there are many people, friends, in the world today... In our society, blessed unbelievably by the Almighty, who, like the hogs under the mighty oak tree, just gobbling up acorns and never bothering to look up, never bothering to look to the source of those blessings, never bothering to give thanks, not once, self-centered, concerned with me. My punishment, what I'm enduring, hey, you just want to say to this fellow, this impenitent thief, hey, man, lift up your eyes. You're going to die in a few hours. And right here beside you is the portal of glory. I mean, right here within reach is eternal life. Someone says, wait a minute, you can't think in terms like that. I mean, that's that's, uh-uh, that's too bloody a scene. I mean, there's just too too much going on. Uh, you, you just can't do Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Nothing in this old life gets so bad that Jesus Christ is always Lord. Friend, he is in control. Three crosses. There were four garments, four items of clothing. You remember, so far as I know, it was the only thing the Lord ever really owned. And you remember in Psalms 22, verse 18, they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. That's exactly what occurred. It is remarkable to me that many deny the validity, the accuracy, even the source of divine revelation. Friends, more than 300 times in the Old Testament, you can read prophetic utterances that were fulfilled minutely, and in every detail, many of them giving names, places, times, fulfilled unfailingly every time. How did the psalmist know about this? It's called inspiration. And that word quite literally involves breathe of God. Theonustus, you see, the message is breathed of God. He knows one end as well as the other the beginning of time and the end of time and everything in between. He's omnipotent, omniscient and omnipresent. And the psalmist said, they divided my garments upon them. Upon my vesture did they cast lots. And those Roman soldiers at the foot of the cross never dreamed of what was occurring just above their heads. It apparently never entered their minds. I mean, here's the fulfillment of the will of the omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent God who through the centuries has worked and diligently labored to perfect the salvation of mankind, never dawned on them. No one their idea was, hey, a Jew put to death, so what? Let's get over here on the side and let's, let's cast lots. Let's gamble for this guy's coat. You know, garments were hard to come by. In those days, weaving was a slow process, and so they didn't want to tear it in pieces. So, so they said, let's cast lots for it. Didn't Jesus make a statement about these prophetic utterances being fulfilled just prior to the ascension? Of course, talking to his apostles, Luke chapter 24, verse 44. He said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you. While I was yet with you, and all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets... And in the Psalms concerning me. There's no question about it. I heard a preacher say one time. He was talking about an article. That he had read that was written by an Orthodox Jew. And the article said. Your Christ of the New Testament. Does not fulfill a single messianic prophecy of the Old Testament. Now friends I don't know what kind of Bible he was reading. He may have had a different Old Testament or New Testament. But the one I read has him fulfilling fill, every one of them. You see, that's why he came. In Matthew chapter 5, 17, think not that i am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And he said, for verily, I say to you that till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall not pass from the law. He came to fulfill the law? Yes. And until it was fulfilled, the smallest character of the Hebrew alphabet, none of that's going to pass. Oh, until things were fulfilled. Did it pass? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He fulfilled everything written of him in the Old Testament. No question about it. There were four garments, there were five wounds. Of course, the spikes driven through his hands and feet. Now, those familiar with how crucifixion would have been carried out suggest that the spikes would have actually been placed at the base of the hand in the palm area and not in the palm itself because it wouldn't have held the weight of a full-grown man. So they were placed in that base of the hand, the wrist area. But you remember the Roman soldier broke the legs of the two thieves And they came to Jesus and saw he was dead already. And of course they did that sort of thing to hasten death because the person could no longer lift themselves up in order to get a breath and suffocation would occur. But when the Roman soldier saw that Jesus was dead already, he thrust the spear into his side and the scripture says, forthwith there came out blood and water. You know, I understand Isaiah 53, 1 through 6 much better When I visualize this, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. I understand it much better. But there is an element I have never understood. To beat him, to scourge him, horrible beyond imagination, the pain and the suffering he endured. Some didn't even make it past that. For many, that hasted death right there. To mock him, oh, that was a terrible thing too, but there's no surprise that people would have done that. But to spit in his face? Friends, this is the almighty, divine Son of God. All you had to do is think one negative thought and send every soul there to hell and reestablish himself. Upon equality with the Father in heaven, but that's not why He came. That's not why He came. Not one negative thought. You know, the Orthodox Jew does not believe in the Christ of the New Testament because they're not and they were not and are not looking for the suffering Savior. They're looking for a warrior such as David with a sword in his hand to break the yoke of whatever power holds sway over Israel and reestablish them as a leading dominant nation in the world. Of course, that will never happen. You see, you could not even restore the old priestly system of the Jewish nation impossible the genealogical tables having long been destroyed a Jew doesn't know which tribe he comes from so you couldn't establish a Levitical priesthood any longer and when the Lord talked about Matthew 24 Mark chapter 13 Luke chapter 21 he talked about the dissolution of the Jewish state the end of Judaism and that of of course occurred in AD 70 but these people speaking to Pilate relative to Jesus said crucify him Crucify him. Let his blood be upon us and our children. And so it was. And so it has been and so it will be. Until the trumpet sounds. And the Lord appears in the clouds. There were five wounds. There were six hours. Six terrible hours of pain and suffering. But besides the physical agony involved, the ridicule. It's almost impossible to imagine and conceive of the attitude of a people who witnessing a man doing only that which is good. As we mentioned, he made the lame to walk. He made the deaf to hear, the, the blind to see. He even raised and restored the dead. He was a gentle man in every sense of the term. He was not a violent man. He shared the love of God and exemplified in every word and every deed of his life. And they crucified this man? They placed such a person on the cross? You know, it's possible to crucify Christ afresh. Hebrews 6, 4-6. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened, having tasted the heavenly gift, having been made partakers of the Holy Ghost, having tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing that they crucify themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. It would be better to have been that Roman soldier who in just doing what he felt was the duty of those assigned the task and the responsibility for the execution and thrust that spear into his side, than to know him in the salvation from sin available through the fundamental principles of the gospel provided by the grace of God and turn my back on him. Better to have been that ignorant Roman soldier. He was put on the cross about the third hour of the day. That's 9 o'clock Jewish reckoning. And hung until the ninth hour, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's six agonizing hours upon the cross. But from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, noon to 3, the sun literally refused to give its light. What do you suppose these people were thinking? I mean, you know, out of curiosity, and I'm sure most of us do, If it were possible to have been there and seen their eyes and seen their expressions, and and what's on their their mind? What are they thinking? Why is it dark here? What's happening here? You know, I'm persuaded all of this was not lost on the masses. Sure, many were callous. Some paid no attention. But that Roman officer, you remember, probably in charge of those that did the actual task of of crucifying him, when he saw these things, Matthew 27:54 says truly this was the son of God. Luke's account says surely this was a righteous man. Surely right thinking people recognize that. The darkest period in the history of the world, 6 hours. There were 7 sayings. 7 Statements Jesus uttered while hanging on the cross. You know quite well what the first one was. There is recorded in Luke chapter 23, verse 44. Now here's the agony of the weight of a full-grown man. sagging against the pierced, bleeding, fevered edges of raw flesh. You know the first thing he said was? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As he hung on the cross, dying this horrible death, the love of God exhibited in Christ Jesus, amazing beyond man's ability to verbalize. Friends, I cannot define it. I cannot describe it. I cannot adequately verbalize it. I believe it with all my heart, but I cannot fully comprehend the love of God. Remember John wrote in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Same was in the beginning, worth God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. But verse 14 identifies the word as Jesus Christ. The one word that sums up the divine vocabulary, everything God is, exhibited in his son. What his son, what could he have said while hanging on the cross? Kill them all. That's justice. That's just, they deserve it. That would have been just, wouldn't it? Deserve it? You better believe it. He labored some three and a half years among them. They've observed his supernatural powers. They admitted that no man could do this except God be with him. And here they crucify him, kill him. That's justice. Friends, he didn't come to establish justice except in a spiritual sense. Would you say, Lord, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. He died to satisfy the demands of justice. But he made another statement. John chapter 19 verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. He said unto his mother woman behold thy son. And then he saith he to the disciple behold thy mother. From that hour. This disciple took her into his own home. You mean Jesus didn't even have a place uh, for his mother when he left? Well, you remember Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. The foxes have holes, the birds uh, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Lord, what's important in life? Well, in my house, my cars, my bank account, my retirement fund, those things have their place. They have their importance. They're essential in day-to-day matters, but they're not a primary importance. You see, the second you pass from this life will show that all of this was to be used to bring about acceptability with God. Nothing else is really important. Didn't Jesus say something about that? Matthew 16:26. for what shall a man be profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Can't be answered. Friends, we're made in the image and likeness of God. And until God ceases to be, you'll live. Oh, but God is everlasting. You get the picture. You see, you're not a body possessing a soul. You are an immortal soul possessing a very temporary body. You will endure forever. You see, by comparison, these material things, not important at all. The important thing is that I know the Lord and I'm doing his will. And then he said, Luke 23 43, today thou shalt be with me in paradise, talking to that penitent thief. And how comforting those words must have been to that thief. With all the agony that characterized the Son of God, he never once forgot his mission. Now, there are all kinds of arguments that, of course, can be made when people try to get around the Word of God. They try to deny certain portions of it or elements of it. And someone says, well, the thief wasn't baptized. Well, of course not. He could have been baptized with John's baptism, but probably not. What's that got to do with it? You see, the New Testament baptism is unto the death of Jesus Christ, Romans 6, 3, and 4, Colossians 2, 12. You couldn't be baptized into the death of Christ until Christ died. Christ was not dead yet. He's the one speaking. Today, this day, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Just like Jesus said to the sinful woman, Luke chapter 7, he said, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. You see, how do you show your faith? By the overt activity of its possessor. How's that done? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. Obedience to his word. Friend, when you do what God said, you're recipient of the blessings predicated upon such action. That's said to be faith. You see, the mental assent of the sonship of Jesus Christ is of no value unless carried into action. That's the way, you see, that's the way faith is made manifest. In every way, those that believe did what God said. If you don't do what God said, you don't believe to the saving of your soul. You remember John chapter 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue for they love the praise of men more than the glory that is of God. Did they believe? Absolutely. You mean they believe that Jesus was and is indeed the son of God? No question. Were they saved? Why, certainly not. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith is made manifest in one submission to the simple instruction provided in the blood seal covenant. Of Jesus Christ, How did this fellow show his faith on the cross? Oh, he rebuked the other. He turned his heart, his mind, having been himself a revile of the Lord. He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. Friend, he can save you. It doesn't make any difference who you are, where you are, whence you may have come, or how deep in the mire of immorality, ungodliness, and sin you may have sunk. When faith by faith you turn from the practice of sin, you confess your, his name before men You're buried with him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. Friend, there's not enough devils nor power in hell to keep you out of heaven. If you will walk in harmony with the Lord's instruction. No question. I mean, right here under the most severe circumstances, the Lord could have said, Hey, fella, I don't have time for you. I mean, I'm hurting something awful here. No, no, no. Today thou shalt be with me. In paradise, And then he said in John 19, 28, I thirst, I thirst. What a blessing it would have been just to have a cup of water to give to the Son of God for relief. But refreshment wasn't available, so they gave him some vinegar to drink. I thirst. Lord, why are you enduring this? You are Emmanuel, God with us. Friend, he endured that for you and me. And then he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which being interpreted, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, the heavenly father didn't say a word. He remained silent. I don't think I could do that. Friend, if I had the power to do something about it and he'd had no problem with power, he's omnipotent. But when his only begotten son bearing the nauseous mass of the sins of the world, cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He did not say a word. Why? Because he loves you and me. He let him die because that's the only hope of human redemption. And the next state, statement he uttered, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Luke 23, verse 46. Friends, we need to trust him. It doesn't matter how bad the situations in life get. He's always there. Always. And I may need the negative circumstances of life to refine my soul. You see, character is built by resistance. He knows my needs. I don't really know my needs. He knows them. He knows me better than I know myself. I need, what I need to do is just trust God and walk my feeble best, to walk in harmony with his instruction. And then he made the last statement. It is finished. John 19, verse 30. We could probably talk for the balance of the day on that statement. Lord, what are you talking about? From the transgression of the in which the human family fell in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, and the promise that God made there in verse 15, unlimited labor by the divine grace and mercy of God has gone into the perfection of of the scheme of redemption, Jesus said it is finished. He shed his blood, without which no man can stand justified before God. Hebrews 9.22 and numerous other passages. Friends, he did all this for you and me, that we might live eternally with him someday in heaven above. What is your condition this morning? If you're here and outside of Christ, you'll not find a more opportune time than right now. To put him on in baptism. You don't have to leave this building in that condition. If you believe that Jesus is the son of God. Willing to repent of your sins. To confess his name before men. And then following his instruction. To be buried with him in that watery grave of baptism. For the forgiveness of sins. If you've once done that. You've wandered away. Friend you need to come home. You need to be restored. And you can be restored through repentance and prayer. If we can assist you in any way. Why not come? As together we stand and sing.